0: Well, good morning, everybody, and welcome one more time to Encounter. Glad, uh, glad that you're here with us this morning. Uh, as Dylan mentioned, we're, uh, we're heading into Fall Launch. This is, a, this is an exciting time for us. Uh, we want to recognize, though, that as we, as we enter into the kickoff of the ministry year, it's so true, isn't it? It's so true uh, that before God does anything powerful through us, uh, he will always do a powerful work in us. And so that's what this 40 Days of Prayer campaign that we kicked off on Wednesday. It is not too late to get involved in that. EncounterChurch.org slash uh, 40 Days of Prayer. Um, We want to recognize our daily dependence on Jesus in every possible way. uh, Because uh, because he has an empowerful incredibly powerful work for us, and he's been showing us a lot. We kicked this off on Wednesday evening with a night of prayer, and that was great. And so we really, as a whole church community, want to surround uh, this time and this season to recognize what God is going to do uh, in and through us. Uh, today we're in a series, we're actually wrapping up the series called Respectable Sins. It's part three of three. Uh, we're in a series where we take a look at some of, the, some of the things that, in our heart of hearts we probably know are wrong, but we kind of dress them up a little, right? We put a little bow tie on them, you know wear a suit and we kind of we kind of do some things or maybe think some things that in our heart of hearts probably know that it's outside of the line that God would have for us but uh, but but we've justified it we found it maybe acceptable maybe necessary to spare somebody's feelings from being hurt we talked about some of the ways that we step out uh, of the of, of line with our words uh, a couple weeks ago last week we talked about anger and uh, we said there were a couple of different kinds of angry people. There's uh, there's stewers that kind of keep it all in, and there's spewers who let it all out. And it's just an invitation to consider uh, what kind of angry person might you be, and what might God do with that anger in a healthy and constructive way. Uh, today we continue on uh, respectable sins, and we look at uh, we look at some of those things that aren't just out there somewhere, right? Like murder or war crimes, stuff that you can kind of go to jail for uh, and say, no, 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 no. There, there's also some things inside of us, things happening inside of our hearts that we're not, we're not going to go to jail for, you know? This isn't a, this isn't a crime at all. And, and we might even justify it by saying uh, it's a victimless crime, if a crime at that. Uh, today we're going to look at the, some of the words of Jesus as he talked about how we look at each other. Specifically, how we look at each other. The title of today's message is Love and Lust and Marriage and Intimacy and Everything in Between. And before we jump into the context of, uh, content of this series, um, I want to share, like, listen, maybe, maybe you're married for a long, long time. Maybe you just got married. Maybe, maybe you're not, or you'd like to be, or, or you're not looking at all. I think this applies to every single person in this room, because Jesus himself uh, talked about this in his world-famous Sermon on the Mount speech. It's probably one of the most famous speeches in all of human history. That includes the speech from Independence Day with the President Whitmore, you know, giving his address. Like Jesus' speech even comes on top of that one, the Sermon on the Mount. And in the Sermon on the Mount, he, uh, he, he looked at his people a lot like I'm looking at you now. And some of the words of Jesus that he shared was, listen, if you, uh, if you look at a, he said woman, but we're going to say person, if you even uh, look at a person and, and there's lust inside of your heart, he's like, what's happening internally, it might as well happen externally. If you look at somebody like that, um, you've already had uh, adultery with them in your heart. And so that's where the love and the, the lust part comes in. And some of these respectable sins, because we look at that today and come on, we're like, Jesus, that was a bit of an exaggeration, right? I mean, that was... That's a bit much, you know, that's a bit over the top. We're a little bit more sophisticated than that these days. Is it? Uh, what we want to do today is, uh, is take a look at that, especially that line, along with Jesus' other line that he gave in the very same speech where he said, if your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. Throw it away. I mean, it's, it's better, Jesus said, it's better for you to go into this whole and complete life with one hand and one eye and experience hell in this world with both eyes and with both hands. Now, come on, Jesus, that's hyperbole. That's way over the top. It's an exaggeration, but I get your point. Is it? We're going to take a look at that today because I think that's, as a culture... As a society, and even as followers of Jesus, in a lot of ways, that's kind of where we've ended up. As saying, I think it's probably, an ex- it's, it's, over, it's over the top. I mean, after all, what are, we, what are we talking about, really? We're talking about, like, stealing a look, you know? Maybe just, like, a lingering glare. It's totally victimless. I mean, we, we just sort of, like, accept that it's a, it's a thing happening all around us. Maybe the person that sits next to us in class, uh, you know, going to the store, you just see somebody walking down the street, And it's a a glance that just kind of hangs out, just a a little bit bit longer. It's in the gym. I mean, there's mirrors everywhere in the gym. You can't help. You're trying to, like, bounce your eyes. You're like, where do I go? I can just see everybody around me all the time. This whole system, this whole world is, like, set up in order to view each other that way. Or maybe we justify it by saying, like, hey, it's respectable after all. They posted it. And if I'm looking at it, even for a while, if I'm gazing, I mean, after all... it's their choice to post. They want to be seen, so I'm just I'm just obliging. Come on, Jesus! It's a little old fashioned, right? I think we've grown and we've evolved past that. Uh, some of the lines uh, that I've heard uh, in talking about this uh, with some other people is, "Listen, Dirk, it's a it's a it's a pastime. It's a recreation. It's just something that I do to keep myself from becoming bored. I mean, it's 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 no problem. It's." No harm, no foul. It's like window shopping. You walk by something, you see see it in the window. You're not gonna go in. You're not buying. You're just you're just looking. When one person even told me, "Why? What's the big deal? Why? Why does it matter where I go get my appetite? As long as I'm coming home for dinner." And I'm like, Wait, you know I'm a pastor, right?" Like, a... we're gonna take a look. Um, we take a look uh, at this important matter. Really because I think somewhere along the line, somebody probably told us, uh, you know, you should maybe knock it off. Maybe it was a helpful youth leader who said, that's, that's not your best. That's not your best look. That's not, that's not what God has for you. And maybe, maybe somebody, maybe a friend said, hey, dude, the, the way that you're looking, I mean, honestly, it's kind of creepy. You should knock that off, right? And then that's okay. Um, but I think it's maybe something more than that. Because I think there's a chance that we didn't tell you the why behind it all. And that's what I'd like to spend a little time on this morning, uh, is, for you to, is for you to walk into yourself, or you to walk into your relationship, if you're in one, or really any relationship ever, in case you're not in one already, is for you to go into that relationship with the highest and best life and marriage and intimacy that Jesus possibly has for you, that God has for you, the why behind it all. And I recognize that as I say that, there's probably a couple different groups of people in the room, Right? Uh, There's a group of people in the room, and I recognize it, that you're not quite there with Jesus yet. Like, he's not, like, like, God, Jesus, right? You didn't, like, cut him a blank check of your life. A check is like an ancient form of payment. You can ask your parents about that later, right? There's there's like this recognition. There's some people who aren't quite like, I'm interested in Jesus. I'm not like sold out to him yet. And I just want to say, you're like off the hook on this message. I see no reason why you like have to abide by some of the stuff that we're going to talk about right now. Although I do believe that the closer we walk in the footsteps of Jesus, even if we're not totally putting our hearts in him, I think that you kind of get some of the like residual blessing of God after we live our lives patterned after how he taught us to live our lives so there could be some content today that i think is going to be helpful for you even if you're not like jesus is lord and i'm totally in all the way now for the other group of people for those of you who are like i am trying with every fiber of my being the best as i possibly can to live out the calling of god in my life man this is like what we're talking about today is mandatory this is like core value pay-to-play kind of importance. This is baseline. In fact, we're going to go to a passage in just a moment and take a look at early Christianity and see that how we got this thing right was a hallmark of the early church. Like how we looked at each other in the church was something that the church was known for and word spread around because of it. I mean, we're talking about like how we look at each other and that kind of like lustful, maybe look in her eye or the, the gazing look and kind of how we get this wrong sometimes and it's, and it's not our best look. And I'm not saying it hasn't been done because I think it has been done in the past. So I'm not even introducing anything new to us entirely. I'm just trying to do like this callback and say, listen, as a church body, There was a point in time where we, as followers of Jesus, got this thing right. And if we're attentive to God's leading, I think that it's possible we can get this thing right again in our lives, in our marriages, in our relationships, are going to be wildly blessed as a result. So, we're going to go together in some of those words to the early church in 1 Peter chapter 3. And we're going to hang out. It's like one verse long. There's a lot of content on this verse. First uh, Peter 3, we're phone friendly. You can pull it up, take some notes that way. And the verse is also going to be on the screen behind me. This defining characteristic, uh, Peter writes this open letter to Jesus followers all over Asia Minor. And it's kind of modern day Turkey, but really an open letter to anybody following Jesus. And he's giving these instructions uh, on how men and women should relate to one another. And he goes, okay, husbands, men. In the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect. He uses this little word respect. A little bit more on that in just a moment. But when he says treat them with respect, we can like pause right there and be like, did he, didn't he need to say that? I mean, isn't that kind of assumed already? Like treat one another with respect? Like groundbreaking information. Let's just grant it to Peter that he wasn't just spilling a little ink, you know? Like, like, he didn't just have too, many, uh, too much ink that he needed to get some out onto the page. Like, he chose these words specifically because I think they needed to be said. I mean, let's open it up a little bit and see, unpack what Peter's life was like, uh, what the, the life of a typical person in the Roman Empire was like. As they viewed one another, they didn't view one another with respect. That's why he needed to say a thing like that. Because, especially women in that culture, It's shocking that he even writes to them, how countercultural that is. Uh, Women in the Roman Empire weren't viewed as people with, well, personhood. Women in the Roman Empire weren't viewed with any kind of, like, status or rights unto themselves at all. And we can kind of come down on Roman culture, and I'm going to make a comment on that in just a minute, but... Before we do, we start to recognize that this is, this is like pervasive. This is all over. In fact, it even kind of slips its way into, into the Bible at times with some of, the, some of the language and some of the way they did their lives. I'll give you an example. Uh, Jesus, one time, after he got done teaching, it started to become dinner time and people are getting hungry. And so he takes a couple of fish sticks and a dinner roll. <laughs> it multiplies, 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 and passes it out. How many people did he feed? 5,000 people. It's right there in the Bible. It's not 5,000 people, though. The culture of the day is that it's 5,000 men. They counted men. It's 5,000 men, and they didn't count women because women didn't count. So for Peter to sit down and say, listen, men and women, how you guys should relate to one another and, and use this word, respect. It's like he's introducing an entire new system, an entire new value system, a worldview, into their vocabulary, like, what? You've got to be kidding me. Respect. Nobody nobody does that. Peter, you're asking us to do what just simply hasn't been done before? In the Roman Empire, get this, it got so bad, and it got to the point Things got so low in their, view, uh, in their view of women because of a, a, a number of different uh, factors. Uh, so uh, Roman law and custom dictated uh, that the definition of adultery uh, was relations with, with a person who was either married or maybe they were uh, yet-to-be-married uh, daughter of another person. Right? So if, if you made this career right, out of relations with some other people, if you were a prostitute, uh, that was legal, and that was permissible. In fact, in the Roman world, that was even encouraged as a way of, of exercising people's uh, appetites. If you're hungry, you get something to eat. If you're thirsty, you get something to drink. If your urges are another line, you can visit this person. And it doesn't even count as adultery because of the definition of it. Uh, people started having kids, right? Girls. Like, girls would... Grow up, and in order to marry them off, the parents would have to put together a large sum of money in proportion to their level of income to gift it to the husband to be to like help them kind of establish their own system. People started realizing, Yeah, I don't think there's any advantage whatsoever to having curls. I mean, there's no heir to like give my things, there's not a family line that's going to be continue as a result. Why am I doing this? And so they started doing. Horrible things. They started giving these little baby girls up. Exposing them and the, sending them off into the woods or in a river somewhere. Just trying to get rid of them, whatever they, whatever they have to do because the value was so small they didn't really care. And so historically, twice, twice, it came up in the Roman Senate. A bill was introduced in the Roman Senate to require to make marriage among young men Mandatory because they realize nobody wants to get married anymore. There's no upside, especially if you can just fulfill your needs by finding a person whose occupation that is. They didn't count women. Women, women didn't count. And then Peter writes this letter, this open letter to the church and he goes, but not so with you. You guys are going to be different. And so this little gathering started. And people kind of liked it. It was was refreshing in a a new way that they'd never seen before. This, This gathering started taking hold and started to spread. One group, two groups, four groups, eight groups, 16 groups, 32, 64, more math. It kept on growing. These little assemblies, these little ecclesias, they called them, these little churches... Gathering in people's homes, gathering in people's businesses, open air. In in, in spaces like this one, whenever they could get together, they started gathering. And in those gatherings, life was different because they'd open up the words of Jesus and they would read about what Jesus has to say about how we look and lust after one another. They opened up these words of of like Peter and started reading these instructions for people who are trying to follow up Jesus and saying like, listen, your life is going to be dictated and the word that he uses is respect. Respect. And Jesus said, your rule is going to be that you love one another. In fact, he elevates it so much as to say, you know what the whole world is going to know? who I am and why I came? Because of how you treat one another. Because of this little word, respect, that you're going to give every single person, and there's a hand in the back that goes up, even the women, yes, even the women, like all of the people, because of how you treat one another, everybody is going to know, Jesus says, who I am and what I came to do. I can kind of imagine... People in settings like that going, I think my wife is going to like this. I think people are going to, and they did, and it spread. And it was this attractive, refreshing, fresh air kind of mentality, kind of energy that was sweeping through the Roman, the Roman Empire. Jesus knew a change like that doesn't quite just happen, like, overnight, you know? Like, you don't just make up your mind to renew your mind, and then, like, it's done. You know, a switch that flips. Jesus is like, a a change like this that's been going on as long as this is going to take take practice. And I love this about following Jesus. Whenever he's asking us to practice anything, he's he's always the one who goes first. So Jesus is like, okay, we're talking about respecting one another, women and men. We're talking about assigning them honor. But Jesus goes, I'll go first. And in John chapter 4, like right off the bat, in the story of John. John was one of Jesus' closest uh, friends and followers. And John kept some, some notes, or at least remembered what had happened and right away in his Jesus story in John 4. He goes, Jesus did the wildest thing. He, uh, he hung out at a well, like where you get water from, where women came. And he waited for a Samaritan woman to come to the well. And then he had the audacity to ask her for a drink. Like, Jesus, you're going to drink a cup from a girl? And she's like, yeah, because it's honoring to her. It's showing this sign of respect. And John thought that's where it ended. And then he found out a little bit later, oh, no, no, that's just where it started. (laughs) Because this is another time, a little bit later, where this woman that was caught in adultery. Now, pause. What did we learn already about the definition of adultery uh, in the Roman times? Sometimes, if you've heard this story before, you're like, isn't that like take two to tango? You know, like... We know where she is. Where's, where's the dude in all of this, right? Like, like, what happened to that guy? And we kind of skip over that part. Well, according to Roman law, I mean, he didn't do anything wrong. Remember, like, he got hungry. He found something to eat. He was thirsty. He'd find something to drink. If your urge is of another kind, then you just find a woman. Because she's treated like a commodity, like an object, like a thing that can be bought or traded or sold. And he was just doing that. But now, if he was married, still, no problem on his part. He was just fulfilling an urge. But she, but her, I mean, that's adultery. After all, he was a married man. You know, and so they dragged they drag this woman out in front of Jesus and, like, put her there. And, and John goes, I thought the cup, you know, at the well with the Samaritan woman was a big deal. Jesus sticks his neck out on the line for her. Practice, respect, respect. I want to give this uh, definition of respect because, because Peter uses a particular word that's only been used once in the New Testament. Respect means to grant or assign someone honor. And I think it's interesting that this word is used only one time in the Greek New Testament uh, because Peter, Peter's a fisherman, right? I mean, he's got, he dropped out of school when he was 10, 11, 12, I mean, he's got like up to a fifth grade education. He's not a writer. Right? He's not great with words. That's not his job. He left to, to find fish with his dad's business. That's his thing. But he like minds his vocabulary, right? He searches for just exactly the right word the only time it's used. And I, th- I think it's so powerful and it draws our attention to that one a little bit more. He's trying to make a point that, that we grant or assign someone honor. Because there's this, like, this, this understanding, like, what if the person, maybe that you're married to, or, or what if the person, maybe that you're looking at on the internet, what if the person isn't exactly deserving of honor, right? Like, what if the person isn't exactly honorable? And Peter's like, it doesn't matter. Because respect isn't dictated on whether or not they're honorable, whether or not they earned that respect is dictated. Based on us assigning honor, assigning respect to that person. It doesn't matter how honorable they are, it's on us to assign that respect and that honor now we're going to continue on because we're in like the half of the first verse and we're going to try to get through an entire verse together here today so he says okay so you're treating one another you're treating men you're treating women with respect and he continues on as the weaker partner now before i get any email before i get like anybody's offended on this he just means as a casual observation he is probably going to beat her in an arm wrestling competition like that's it right like most of the time some of the time that's gonna that's gonna happen He's not making a statement on men being like more, more capable. He's not making a statement on men being smarter or anything else like that. He's just making this observation. But it's also a really, really important observation to make. Because in that context of the day, might made right. To an extent today, you could also make that observation. Might makes right. And Jesus, again, not so with you. Jesus is saying strength, honor, resources, influence, Money, the the things that you have available to you ought to be leveraged on behalf of those that don't have those things available to them. So he's just making a comment and saying, listen, in this culture, especially the men, I mean, you guys have a lot going for you. And your job isn't to exercise that to take, take, take. No, no, just the opposite. In these little ecclesias that are spreading like wildfire all around, in these little ecclesias, it's totally different. You're, you, use, use your resources, use your, your money, status, power, and influence on behalf of those who don't have it at all. So treat them with respect as the weaker ones. Leverage for their gain, not yours. And as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life is when you look at another person at the store, at the gym, driving down the road, on TikTok, on Instagram, on anywhere else, when you look at another person as heirs, they're serving and they are answerable to the very same higher power that you are. When you look at another person, no matter who they are, what they've done, the background, any of it, when you look at another person, you are looking at somebody for whom Jesus left heaven. When you look at another person, you don't look at them as just somebody wearing the image of God as if it was like a coat. You look at another person according to Genesis 1 as As the very image of God that he made. You're looking at somebody for whom Jesus loved to death and back again to new life of course we're going to assign them honor. Of course we're going to show them respect. Of course we're going to leverage whatever we have at our disposal for the benefit of them. Of course we're going to look at them with the infinite value, dignity, and worth that God himself has assigned to her or to him. I mean, if you're a follower of Jesus, there's really no other choice. There's a question, though, of how we do that where do we go from there? I think a couple of things. Um, on the more service level, there's like this recognition of to honoring somebody, uh, to assign them dignity and respect, to assign them as honor. We do this kind of naturally with some, and it comes a little less naturally to others. You, know, you can think of a person in your life uh, if you're a man, then probably a woman. A woman, probably a man. But if you can think of somebody in your life uh, of the opposite sex that you, you really strongly admire. You know, maybe it's a scientist. Maybe it's a, somebody who made some huge discoveries. Maybe it's a civil rights leader. Maybe it's an artist, a musician, a movie star. I don't know, somebody that you're just like, holy cow, I just have a tremendous amount of respect for that person. And then imagine, like, they walked into the room during the song set, and you're like, whoa, I can't believe it's like so-and-so. And there's immediate, like, this sense of, the sense of honor, even before the conversation takes place, and you're like scooching over and going, no, no, you can have my seat. Like it's fine. I'll find someone. I'll stand in the back. Like I'll go to the upper lobby. Dirk wants us to do that anyway when it's full, so it's good, right? Like there's this, there's this sense of like I can automatically assign them honor. And what Peter is saying, like in every relationship that you have, or in any interaction with a human being, whether it's face to face or screen to screen. Show them that, assign them that same, that very same honor. Because that person is not a commodity. is not an object to be used, to be bought, to be sold. That person doesn't belong to anybody. You don't have the right to ghost them and to not come back, right, like all these sort of stuff. No, no, no. there's honor. It's automatically assigned with some people. You get it instinctively. With others, it takes practice. And we know how to do that. We know how to show honor. Sometimes. And I think sometimes we can get better at it with a little practice, too. But if I could, there's like a whole other, a whole deeper layer out of this one. And so I, I want to take a minute, and I want to talk to a group of people where this isn't like a passing glance. This isn't something that's, that's just a lingering Look. I'm gonna talk to somebody who's stuck in it. The biblical word is uh, the sin that ensnares. I'm gonna talk to the one that, like, I can't help but just be drawn to some of the dark corridors on the internet. And I and I visit regularly. I'm gonna to talk to the person who particularly said, you know what, at, at first it was like this level of shame. That kind of came up And I just wish that I could be freed from this. I wish that I could be done with this. And then maybe I talked to some other people and you know, I just read a little bit more about it. And, you know, honestly, the things that I was reading about it, some, some people were saying it's really, not even, it's really not even so bad. That I shouldn't even feel bad. After all, when I get hungry, I get something to eat. Thirsty, I get something to drink. Maybe this is an urge, just like every other urge. and I can just scratch it. And I, just, I want to present to you that every time you participate. Uh, Every time you visit the site, male, female, doesn't matter, uh, universally applicable, every time we do this, we enroll in a particular kind of school with a curriculum really around three things. And I've asked for them on the screen and just linger on the screen for a little while. What we're learning when we visit the sites is that a real body isn't good enough. come on. We know that the internet isn't real. We know that it's pixels on a screen. We also learn that one body isn't good enough. As we flip from person to person, from website to website. We also learn that your body, whoever you are, isn't good enough. You could also fill in your wife's body, your future husband's body. What we're learning These three things, a real body, one body, your body, isn't good enough. And when I have the opportunity to unpack some of this and just to ask, you know, that Psalm 139 thing that we've been doing, just pray the prayer. Search me, God. Is there an offensive way inside of me? Highlight that for me. And when I point this out to people, you know, the general response that I get, it's not denial It's not argumentative. For the most part, it's, oh, yeah, that makes sense, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, that kind of aligns with my experience. Like, over the long haul. And I visit enough times, I participate enough times, and I start to, to pick up, I start to internalize what the school that I'm enrolled in has taught me. And the consequences aren't something that I would wish for those around me. There's an element here that I would just love to be away from. And some people have maybe said that it's okay. But over the long haul, you know, attitudes and mindsets change. It's somewhat unrelated, but I'll tie it in. Uh, You know, fun fact, not fun, I don't know why I said that. World War II. Okay. In World War II, the United States government actually gifted uh, soldiers, GIs, uh, cigarettes. Because for them, I mean, it was was an opportunity to keep the troops occupied. I mean, it was like a pastime. It was a recreation. And they're like, hey, listen, if we could just keep people occupied for a little while, like, take up this new endeavor, take up this new hobby. It's called smoking. Like, it's fine. You know? It's an innocent pastime to keep from being bored. I don't know exactly how long it was, 15, 20, 50 years, who knows? But eventually we started to realize, like, I don't think that's as healthy as maybe you think it is. And we can kind of look back at Uncle Sam and going, that was probably not our finest moment in U.S. history. There were some devastating consequences of those actions that we thought were fine at the time. There was an uh uh-oh. There was a getcha attached to it. And what we're finding... And I say we. I mean just anybody who reads the literature. What we're finding is remarkably similar. No matter how much people have said, ah, it's fine. Go to the websites, fulfill your urges, do whatever you gotta do. It's a pastime, it's a recreation, it's a way of keep from being bored. There's an uh-oh. There's a getcha. And God didn't want it to get you. But here we are. Or finding. It's not a pastime. It's a pathway and it's leading to somewhere. It's leading to destruction. It's not just a pastime. It's a pathway, a curriculum that we learn and lead us to destruction. Come back to the words of Jesus. Come on, man. Gouge out your eye? Cut off your hand? It's a wild exaggeration. Hyperbole. I can tell you from hanging out with people that internalized the curriculum. The past time was a pathway and they found out firsthand Everything blew up. And we're sitting in my office. And I haven't asked, but I think I know the answer. If you could give your eye to have your family back, I don't think it's that big of an exaggeration. I'd give my hand in a second. it's not a pastime it's a pathway to destruction so make a commitment make up your mind to renew your mind you're not alone help it's right on the other side I want to help we want to help as a community Maybe it's a software thing, covenant eyes, lion, ever accountable. There's a million of them. And they all cost about ten dollars. <laughs> if the finances are a barrier, I didn't talk to anybody at the church about this, but like we'll pay for it. We got it. Let's start the conversation. Email me at dirk at I want you to step into the fullest, the best, the highest life that Jesus has available to you. And if I could put like a PS on all of this thing, right? Like this whole long, rambling email of a conversation. If I could just talk to single men for just a moment. Like as a guy, talking to single guys, everybody else, you can listen in or not. It doesn't matter. It won't be long. But I just want to land the plane on this. Like just think about this. For my conversations extensively, there are a huge number uh, there's a huge amount of women huge number of women countless women who have almost entirely given up on finding a guy who lives this out like i can't tell you how many people are like oh my goodness i am so entirely dissatisfied like this is a huge quantity of people and men young men looking looking to not be single men if you could just like get this thing right You know, if you could show this honor, assign this honor, if you could show this respect, if you could view women, all women, with this infinite dignity and worth that the image of God requires in them, right? If you could be the kind of person that the person you're looking for is looking for, I am telling you, men, that that puts you in a very exclusive group, a very small group of men who are also very, Very desirable to a huge number of women. I'm telling you, it's like a dating superpower. (laughs) Let's pray together. (laughs) Stand up. Let's go to God together. Uh, Jesus, uh, we we come to you as as people who have recognized that we've fallen down. God, we've gotten this thing wrong. Every every single one of us. Uh, when, When we look at one another... Whether it's face-to-face, whether we interact thumbs-to-thumbs, like whatever the thing is, God, however we're viewing people, IRL or pixels on a screen, we recognize that we haven't assigned honor, saw the infinite value, dignity, and worth, somebody for whom you left heaven. So Jesus, when we fall down, May we be reminded that we're falling at the foot of the cross, your cross. And you love us. And you love us enough not to leave us fallen down. So Jesus, I pray for courage in these next few moments. I pray for action steps. I pray in time for power and for victory. I pray that each one of us gets to step into the highest and best life that you have in store for us. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Hey church, it's our sincere prayer that this message was able to help you find new life in Christ. And if you did find it helpful, would you consider donating to help drive this ministry forward? And don't forget, there's no substitute for doing life together. So find a worship experience, join a small group or a serving team today. You can do all this at EncounterChurch.org.